everybody, and welcome back to another episode of We Watch Shudder. My name is Michelle, and who's here with me? It's JD. It's JD. JD in the house. It's always JD in the house. It's always it Michelle. We're always in the house when we record. Crazy we how are. that works. Out. Never the same house, though. No, never the same house, but you know what? That's okay. We have our yeah. roofs in our respective homes that we like. That's a, that, yeah, that's a that's a fun bit of We Watch Shutter trivia where I believe this is episode 168, something like that. We have never recorded a single one of these actually in each other's presence. Yep, except the bonus Cuz we hate each other. One. Really is that's is, true. is is is, is yeah. why we 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 both love Shudder and we both have incredible movie opinion egos, but we can't fucking stand each other. It's a real Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel sort of thing. Yeah, except way more fist fights if we were in person talking about some of this stuff. Right. Like, uh, oh, man. We, we, we don't get together because Michelle is an abusive jerk. <laughs> exactly. So, like, for JD's safety, we have to record literally cities yeah. apart from one another. Yeah. We're not even in the same state. No. I mean, it's a five-man drive to get to his state. I'm in Uganda. Oh, I don't know why nice. Uganda was the first country that came it's to mind. It's a really the, fun country to say. I, it's also Uganda. far away, as far as I know. Well, lots of countries are far away, though. Anyway, Michelle. Yeah. How do we do this every time? Well, uh, we grab our microphones, and then I check to make sure I'm actually recording and recording from the same device. That's step one now. And then hey, step Michelle. two is we tell them. What? No. Oh, okay. I was just gonna, uh, I was just gonna try and bring us. Oh, Jesus! It's already. A oh, cluster I'm bringing fuck. it around. Step it. two is we tell them that we watched a movie today, and step three is we tell them what that movie was. JD, what movie did we watch today? Uh, we watched a movie called Johnny Got His Gun. Now you might be like, "Hang on a minute, that's not a Shutter movie." You're right. No, it's not. Shutter didn't put out anything new this week. And we got a real, uh, uh, you know, we, we're really getting a hankering for special requests, guys. So if you got a special request, hit us up on all the various places. But this is a special request that came in. Somebody said we should check out Johnny Got His Gun, which some of you will know as the movie that uh, has bits of it in the famous Metallica music video for the song One, uh, that one uh, uh some award or I don't even remember. Uh, but it was very interesting request. I, I assume, Michelle, this is the first time you saw this film. Yeah. First time I've even heard of this film was that comment saying we should watch okay. it and that they hadn't watched it because they knew what happened. So I assume then that means you were never uh, you had never seen the Metallica one music video. Uh, I mean, if I have, I would not have made the connection to this movie sure. ever. Um, I, I uh, don't remember. Yeah, I so I saw that video uh, a long time ago for the first time. It came out I want to say 1989. I think it was about 1991, the first time I saw it. I have known that those clips in the music video came from a movie called Johnny Got His Gun since about 1992, and I have also never seen it until this request came in. And my immediate reaction, honestly, was I'm not even sure that's really a horror movie. Uh, but that's going to give us also some more interesting stuff to talk about here on this episode. Because after having seen it, 
Uh, I think I might call it that thing that we talk about sometimes that's horror-adjacent. But man, there's some real rough shit in this movie. Oh, yeah. I am right there with you. So let's give our spoiler-free thoughts first. Do it, Michelle. What are your spoiler-free thoughts for Johnny Got His Gun? I think you summed it up really well in that this is something that is labeled as a war drama. Um, When it was suggested on the page, that gave me a hint that we were going to get into some stuff. Um, And then we did get into some stuff. And luckily, I spent a good chunk of spooktober watching emotionally devastating movies um and thanks Ari that. yeah thanks Ari Aster and thanks uh martyrs and all the other <laughs> things that are very upsetting that I decided to watch and I'm still keeping up with that theme so uh-huh. I love feeling upset 4.5 nice four and a half skulls from Michelle on Johnny mm-hmm. got his gun uh again this is the first time I have seen this film there are certain shots, obviously, that I knew because of their their appearing in that video, and that's also part of what made me say there. I mean, there might be uh, more horror going on here than uh, uh, this is a fantastic film on a number of levels. Uh, I did a little bit of digging into the way it was received when it originally was released. Uh, and saw some criticisms of it that I'm going to talk about more in detail in the spoiler section, that I think some people just missed that certain things they brought up as criticisms were all part of the point uh, of the movie. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that uh, as we get into it. But no, this is, uh, first of all, uh, real depressing, uh, is a masterpiece of that concept of letting you create the horrible thing in your own mind uh, and just surprisingly riveting. I was just drawn into this fabulous movie. Uh, I'm giving this a five skull, Michelle. I I loved this film. This was fantastic. Wow. It's so good. I want to see it. I want to go and watch it again and be like, it's so good and i'm very much i'm so glad that uh uh, was it jimmy who requested this i tried to find their name and i couldn't i forgot to write it down was was it a sam i don't know but uh person who listens and i'm so sorry that i forgot your name but you know who you are and you know what we know who you are we've just forgotten your name (laughs) so thank you for for bringing this to our attention we're glad the whole conversation I have just forgotten your name. And you know what? What's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. And that's what you are. You are a rose that smells just as sweet. That's Romeo and Juliet. You're welcome. That's just for you, nameless person who suggested that we watch this movie that JD loved and now we owe our lives to. Um, Okay. (laughs) So uh, a four and a half from Michelle, a a five from me. That's a 4.75 average. What do you think, Michelle? Should we hit the spoilers? Absolutely. I have things to say. Uh, Just quickly, I almost forget every time. You can catch this movie uh, right now free with some advertising on Tubi. Uh, I believe it's available some other places, maybe on video on demand if you want to drop four bucks rather than watching the advertisements. But it's pretty easy to find. If you haven't seen it, strongly recommend you check it out before we spoil everything. Yeah, and Tubi's ads are minimally invasive. They're less than you would have had watching this on you know plain old boring 
cable TV. Right. So I, I love Tubi. I'm so glad they stepped their game up. I made so much fun of them when Terror Train came out. And now I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, Tubi has some good stuff, including Johnny Got His Gun. So, yeah, shout nice. out to Tubi. <laughs> yes, it was James Pittman was the fellow uh, who recommended this to us. I thought it was a Jimmy. Maybe he's a Jimmy. I don't know. His Facebook name is James. I probably shouldn't have said his full name, except it's on the Facebook. So I, I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know, Michelle. I should just stop being a person. <laughs> I would love to stop being a person. Is that an Wouldn't option? Would it be great? Uh, oh I God. wish, man. What uh, would you be? I think it's. I think it's an option, but it's kind of a permanent choice. Oh, I thought I could transform into something else. I would be a beanbag. Oh, I bet okay. they have really good lives. Just I bet lounging, they do. just fitting into spaces. Okay, spoiler section. We're not right. changing into beanbags yet. I'm so sorry. But if you want to go check this out, do it. And if you wanted to check it out, you're probably gone by now. So we're in spoiler territory. You had your warning. I am going to sum up this film while Johnny got his gun. Are I you ready? Wait. I am so ready, Michelle. Okay. So Johnny got his gun. There's a guy. And his name, surprisingly, is not Johnny. It is Joe. And honestly, that's the biggest plot uh, plot hole in the entire thing. Like, I can't believe that they did that that wrong. Um, but Joe, he is uh, doing some more stuff. And then he loses all of his important parts except his dick. They make sure to say that he covered his genitalia and that he saved that. But both arms gone, both legs gone. His head is gone and it's just a hole. That's terrifying. And the whole movie, he's in this little tent thing to uh protect all of his uh vulnerable bits and i'm like man i want to see the hole and they never show it to you and you know what that's really smart because in 1971 they would never have been able to meet my expectations but i i still wanted to see it i wanted to see like just the cerebellum and nothing else um so the military <laughs> are keeping this guy not johnny alive um and they have just declared that he can't feel anything he's basically dead he's not aware of the world anymore. And they treat him as such without any social interaction and just kind of seeing what would happen if they keep this torso alive. And then, oh, not Johnny, is aware of everything. It's basically locked-in syndrome, except worse, because no one cares if you're locked in. They think that you are permanently locked in and that you're not aware of anything and that you are just a stump, stump of a human. And uh, Johnny is just reminiscing about things with his uh, previous love. And then he hangs out with Donald Sutherland, who is also Jesus for some reason. And it's just <laughs> a lot of flashbacks uh, between things that are happening and him just being like, man, I'd like to escape. And then eventually he figures out how to communicate with them in Morse code. And uh, they don't believe him at first. But then they realize, oh, man, no, this guy's alive. And he just keeps spelling kill me. We should probably ignore the problem. And it will go away. The end. Yeah. It's fucking bleak. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, we just recently note. talked about birth slash rebirth. And right. I had said I have a very specific medical horror um like thing where like that's a yeah. niche that really gets to me and then we mm -hmm. walk watch a fucking locked in syndrome film oh my god that's a horrifying horrifying possibility i don't like it yeah no thank you uh, uh yeah that's uh and, and that to me is a big part of why 
overall this might not be you know pure horror through and through but that is just that concept is one of the most horrifying things uh, I did want to point out right away uh, the reason the story is called Johnny Got His Gun is because Johnny Get Your Gun was a uh, a slogan uh, used uh, to get young men to enlist in the military uh, in the late uh, 1800s, early 1900s, especially going into World War One, where this is, uh, you know, where where Joe goes off to. So that's where uh, the title comes from, and why his name I remember- isn't Johnny. Yeah, I remember that slogan did not make the yeah. connection. Okay. Well, yeah. he still should have been named John instead of Joe. I yeah, stand by and, that. How dare they? And, uh, yeah, so, like, uh, imagine this. So, like, you are just, you're in the war. You're 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 doing what you can. And we, we find out, you know, because they sort of uh, drift around here. Uh, we occasionally get... Uh, drug-addled flashbacks and dreams uh, from Joe that fill in some of the the backstory. And eventually we find out that literally, like, so much of this movie uh, is centered around the arrogance of military command, right? Like, the whole reason he got blown up in the first place is because this dude who is a like the leader of these soldiers in a trench in World War 1 decided it was more important to send his living soldiers out to bury a, a dead soldier's body that was rotting and creating a nasty smell and they tried to tell him like they they're we're going to be sitting ducks right you want us to go out there and and just like be, all because you just can't handle the smell this is war brah. Uh, and he was like, no, that's my orders. And they, so they went out and they got blown the fuck up. Dude loses both of his arms, both of his legs, the whole bottom half of his face. And then this arrogant fucking prick military general doctor comes in and just says, oh, I'm infallible. I can assure you there's absolutely no way he has any consciousness whatsoever. There's no way that this is anything but a vegetative state that just continues to, his body continues to operate because of his medulla oblongata still functioning. And they just leave it at that. They never even consider what might be going on here. Even when he starts moving and clearly reacting to things, they just turn it away as just like, oh, it's just a reflex. There's no way this could possibly be going on. Uh, So that to me is a a huge part of this is just that arrogance uh, of military leadership. Um, I tell you what, here's a part of this movie that I didn't see coming. Uh, The real focus on sexuality uh, in this film. Uh, Did that, I assume, caught you by surprise as well, Michelle? Uh, what are you referring to? Well, so, like, they they make a big deal about that scene towards the beginning where Joe and Kareen are making out in Kareen's dad's house, mm-hmm. uh, and he's like, uh, like, like, he comes in and you would expect it to be one of those, get your hands off my daughter, you get out of here thing, but Kareen's father is clearly like, he knows what's up here, right? This kid's going to war. He knows he's probably not coming home. Uh, and his daughter is in love with this boy. Uh, so they go to bed together, and the nature of their conversation is so deliberately innocent 
And the way they talk, she's just like, have you ever been with anybody like this before? They dance mm-hmm. around the, the subject. And then there's that moment where they're talking about uh, how like the only extremity they saved was his genitalia. And the guy's like, yeah, that's why you're... Or no, they talk about they found him in the fetal position. And the guy says, yeah, they instinctively try to protect their genitalia. And then later on, he talks about how he was only ever to be with Kareen once. And there's that whole thing that really took me off guard where the new day nurse just decides to give him a hand job one day uh, uh, out of the apparently the kindness of her heart and sympathy, which I totally get. Like, I, I can see that. Like, uh, she's the one who believes, the, the first one who actually believes he's, he's trying to communicate. And she's the one who figures it out by writing on his chest. And I could see it was a little bit over the top, but I could see that mentality, right? Like, this guy has no arms no legs, he can't talk, he can't hear, he can't see anything, all of his senses are completely shut down except touch. And so she was like, well, this is me. maybe you can at least feel kind of good for a few seconds, right? Uh, but there's a very strong focus on that. And I, I just found that a, a, an interesting part of this. Um, but I also felt like the way so much of it at the beginning there did you feel at any point like this movie was like like overly trying to be very innocent and tame in a lot of ways did like it, it felt like obviously there are some more extreme things but like that sequence where Kareen is very much dancing around what they're talking about uh there's a real vibe of extra pronounced innocence in a lot of this did you get that as well yeah, because a lot of it is um, his relationship with Kareen and then his father. He's kind of older, but yet he's still being treated like a little boy with that fishing pole. Um, there's a lot of like showing how innocent he was. And then this happened to him. Uh, not in a bad way for me, um, but it was definitely like trying to show like this kid has done nothing wrong. And now look at his life. Yeah, I definitely picked up on those vibes. Right, and uh, to me, like I, like I said, I read some some reviews of this uh, and some thoughts on it that came out uh, at the time, uh, and they they sort of talk about how it's uh, it's not uh, you know the most nuanced or anything, but I feel like that's deliberate in this movie. I feel like mm-hmm. they're over exaggerating the innocence of this at points to drive home that idea. Right of of just young men, uh, being shipped off to battle en masse like like cattle, right? Just the innocence it, it, to 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 then emphasize the destruction of that innocence, right? And and the just the the terrible nature of what these there's this fucking brilliant moment uh, where. Uh, I believe it's in one of the flashbacks where Joe is is talking to his father or somewhere along there. I apologize that I don't remember the details. They literally just come right out and say, why don't they ever send the old people out to, to fight? You know, uh, and it's a it's a brilliant exchange. The anti-war sentiments are absolutely there. I feel like there's also just a, a general kind of stabbing at overall American culture. Uh, and our our overall patriotism and that sort of thing here. Also, what we consider status with that whole thing where the father's like, the only thing I have that means anything is this fishing pole, 
I love this fishing pole more than I love my son. This gives me status. Anybody could have a son. Uh, it's just, uh, it has a lot to say. Yeah, and it's clearly anti-war, but not in a way that is, like, in your face. And I always appreciate that when a message is so nuanced that it gets through very clearly, despite not being about that. It It's indirectly about that and showing how this affected uh, this young kid and clearly, like, takes a stance, um, but yet is you can say like it's not really a war movie despite it's saying it's a drama war film on imdb it's not really a war film it is horror adjacent yeah yeah this (laughs) is get uh, into that a little bit is very much uh horror adjacent uh the other thing that I, i i found interesting about this because uh i did not know this uh and I think it contributes also to a little bit of the absurdity and the oddity of this. Uh, some of the elements, like uh, like you mentioned, uh, uh, Donald Sutherland playing Christ, uh, and there's that whole scene where he's there, and there's all those other soldiers, and they all already know how they're going to die, and they're talking about that, and then they're like, hey, why is, why is Joe here? He's not going to die. Uh, this movie, the original, uh, so this was written and directed by Dalton Trumbo based on his novel uh, by the same name. It's the only film he ever directed. He wrote other films, but this is the only one he ever directed. Uh, and uh, Dalton Trumbo uh, was one of the famous Hollywood 10 uh, that originated the uh, Hollywood blacklist put together by the House on american Activities Committee back during the Red Scare years. Uh, and it's, I, I feel like a certain amount of that innocence, and though especially in that opening scene where they never come flat out and say what they're about to do, and, and she's like, have you ever been with anybody like this? And he's like, oh, have you ever been with anybody like this? And, and just the way they dance around it. I almost feel like that's a deliberate commentary from Trumbo, and uh and, and Boonwell about like the Hayes Code era. I don't know how much you you're familiar with the just general film history. Are you familiar with the Hayes Code, Michelle? I have no idea what that is. There there was this whole era after the uh, the early years of cinema uh where this oversight board was established and there was the Hayes Code and it was all these rules that had to be followed if you've ever watched any like older TV or older movies leave it to beaver that sort of thing uh and uh, wondered why the parents share a bedroom but they sleep in different beds that's a Hayes Code thing things you were allowed to say things you were not allowed to say and i feel like they were deliberately leaning into the fact and making a comment on that because by the 70s a lot of that stuff had been lifted and you were free to do more things again but uh i feel like it was a, a statement about that uh in, in ways as well i was i was just uh, so blown away by how much this movie has to say yeah i was just gonna say that i am familiar with that i had never heard the the terminology for it before oh the Hayes so. code yeah yeah Hayes code okay interesting yeah um so i think you're Right, though, that's commentary on more than just war. Wow. Yeah, and I, I also feel like, of course, Luis Buñuel uh, most famously uh, made a film called The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, 
and also uh, co-wrote uh, co and uh, I believe assisted in directing a legendary short film uh, that he made with Salvador Dali called Un Chien Andalou, uh, which is basically credited as the, the beginning of... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, just really abstract, uh, sort of, of filmmaking and, and that sort of thing. And I feel like you feel a lot of his influence, uh, in those, uh, those scenes with Jesus, uh, in, in just the more bizarre moments, uh, of this film. Surrealism, that's the S word I was looking for. But, uh, uh, so one of the things also then that we wanted to talk about is, is that whole thing. Cause again, when we agreed to do this, I had never seen it before. I knew little bits and pieces that might, uh, qualify as like that opening shot when it's just like the undershot staring up at the three doctors in their, in their mask. I've seen that before it's in the video, but that is just this, it, this is horror. Uh, I, I, I don't even know, honestly, if I would call it horror adjacent. Maybe, uh, but there are definitely horror moments in this. Uh, I think it's significant that the present time when he's now this this uh, this damaged uh, uh, person, he's lost all, all of his awareness, of, of like all of his limbs and his senses except touch. Like, I think a different movie would have put all of the current stuff in color and the flashbacks and dreams in black and white. And I think it's so brilliant that they did it the other way around because his life has become devoid of any detail. And, and so they have to minimize a lot of that here. There's a shot near the beginning where I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be some kind of representation of his internal consciousness because it's just a black screen and a couple of small pinpoints and slivers of light. They start talking about what's going on here. One of the raddest things from a horror perspective in this is those moments where you hear him talking uh, to himself, but it's two different voices at the same time, and one is kind of calm but panicked, and the other one is freaking the fuck out. Uh, this movie... It's not going to startle you. It's not going to make you jump. But if you really pay attention to it and think about it, this movie is going to disturb the fuck out of you. Yep. It gets under your skin more than a lot of other horror movies do. And now that I think about it, I don't know any war movies that would not on some level qualify as horror. That, like, yeah. It, <laughs> it's it's terrible stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think honestly, maybe uh, maybe I need to roll that back a bit. Uh, I do think there's an important factor in calling something specifically a horror movie rather than a movie that has horrific elements. Is I think mm -hmm. I think a horror movie should be intentional. Like like the horror in itself should be the intent. Uh, you know, and and obviously there can be a message there, but there should be a consistent focus on the horror. And so there are definitely horrifying moments in this, uh, but it does drift into other tones, other kind of ideas. But yeah, I, I just, I think it's a really interesting example. Even a movie, like it's so weird to me how some movies, uh, there was this period of time, especially in the 80s and 90s, where a lot of people started to just define horror by these 
crazy exploitation franchise horror movies and and mass produced direct to video things that were going on in the in the 80s and 90s to the point where they were embarrassed to call something a horror film they wouldn't do it you know uh uh 7 the silence of the lambs these are all movies that very obviously have horrifying stuff going on but they're always thrillers or or whatever because horror became a dirty word and I, uh, I I think there are way more things uh, that qualify as horror than most people want to admit. Interesting. So first off, I think that half of this movie is a horror movie and the other yeah. half is a drama movie. They For are sure. two different things where one is the flashbacks and the drama and the surrealism, as you pointed out, with Jesus Christ. <laughs> For some reason, um, but Donald Sutherland took... was fucking fabulous in that yeah. role. By the way, I didn't <laughs> he know he have was a solution. in this. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, he, he was so good. It. Um, but the the horror parts. If this was just only the parts of him being in that bed and monologuing to himself, that would be a horror movie. That is horrifying. It's very unnerving. It's upsetting. So I think this is half horror, half drama. Well, it's. Uh, I, I... I don't disagree with you, but just as a mm-hmm. counterpoint to that, though, like, then what do we say about modern stuff? Like, like the first name that jumps to mind is Mike Flanagan. Mike mm-hmm. Flanagan is fabulous at combining those things. You know, he has horrific, my, like, the, the best example in my mind uh, is uh, The House on Haunted Hill, or The Haunting of Hill House, rather, excuse me. I will get those two confused for the rest of my life. Uh, but one of the things I love about his work is he's able to get you so engaged in the drama and the story that you occasionally completely forget you're watching a fucking horror property and then he drops that shit on you and uses that to his advantage. Uh, like, how do you think that applies there then? Are we saying that uh, that Flanagan stuff isn't purely horror either? Yeah, that's something I already thought that his stuff was okay. more horror drama, which is a okay. thing that like you don't, properly see classified things are either horror or yeah, they're drama in a lot of people's ev- minds and yeah for me, everybody's they're not. quick to everybody's quick to to talk about horror comedy uh, but mm-hmm. you've never heard anybody mention horror drama and i think i agree with you there i i in fact i think horror drama is a much better terminology for these things that people have been calling elevated horror these days. <laughs> Fucking puke. Elevate. Nobody calls The Exorcist elevated horror, right? Nobody calls The Shining elevated horror. But these are movies that uh, are, are critically respected uh, and came along before that 80s glut of direct-to-video indie stuff made horror a dirty word to a lot of people. Uh, so I, I hate that terminology of elevated horror. I would just call it, yeah, this is this is horror drama, uh, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of other stuff is just straight horror. There's going to be a plot. They're going to give you a little bit of characters who are cool or nice people just to give you enough to latch on to, but the characters and their journey is not necessarily the point. The story is still those people in this horrifying situation. Uh, so I, I, I agree with you there. I think that's a new terminology that has been staring us in the face for years and years and years, and somehow nobody has ever latched onto it. Let's, pie, let's, let's really push horror drama, Michelle. Maybe we can change the, the movie uh, review world. 
Absolutely. I've been using it for years on my Fabulous. own in my many, many spreadsheets while I was trying to classify <laughs> what was on my watch list. So yeah, horror drama is how I classify I don't even want to know what your spreadsheet library looks like. Uh, it's 1,200 lines currently Jesus of things I have to watch. Christ. I'm 78 seasons behind on TV shows. I, Michelle, I you're, nev- you're going to die before you watch everything you want to watch. I know, especially because I've started reading books this month. I, I got through two books in the last two days, so I'm I'm never going to get caught up. Um. Ugh. Anyway, uh, I also thought it was interesting that you said that things that should be classified as horror are classified as thriller, when I think that is a clear distinction between those two. I think okay, Silence of the Lambs that. probably does fit into thriller a little bit more. Um, thriller, and of course I'm going to blink out, like horror has always been... It's kind of like our uh, our slasher conversation about uh, slashers being just about the blood and uh, non-slashers being about like how they... Right, right. Like, slashers are do. at their core just uh, about fucking killing people, right? Like at exactly. their core, that is the goal. Uh, whereas there are other things that are sort of slasher adjacent, but there's a little bit more going on there. Scream, for example, uh, I think. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, so uh, thrillers in that case for me are more about the suspense than they are about the horror. Like there might be horrifying concepts, but it's about like keeping you engaged and not really ever making you jump. It's just being uncomfortable and being suspended the whole time. Yeah, I, it's more I can like see edging, that. but for horror for movies. Sure. <laughs> uh, I I will hasten to point out that there is, however, uh, uh, at least one scene. In Silence of the Lambs, that is definitely a horror scene. Uh, mm-hmm. When, uh, well, I'm, I, I can't imagine who hasn't seen Silence of the Lambs, so I won't bother to spoil it. But holy shit, uh, Are the lambs Anthony not Hopkins silent? is Anthony Hopkins is maybe the most terrifying person I've ever seen in my life in that scene. Holy shit! Um, I also just recalled that I might have a strong opinion. Like, if you gave me a movie, I could tell you thriller or horror pretty easily. And that's because my high school boyfriend's mom was very specific about this is a thriller, this is a horror. And so she ingrained it in my head really early. And I love that. Like, I can tell you what counts as each, but hard hard to explain it. But it's it's sort of like I I forget who, who said it, but it was a thing about defining pornography. It's a famous quote where he says, I can't give you a definition but I know it when I see it. Yes, uh, exactly, yeah. because she somebody, was very clear. Yeah, somebody pointed out to me one time uh, a, 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 an easy soundbite kind of thing that obviously doesn't hit the nail on the head, but it at least gives you, I think, a really solid at least starting point for understanding the difference between horror and thriller. Horror is a movie about the serial killer and his victims and the process of him killing his victims, and a thriller is about the cops who are trying to catch that guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. pretty so good way of putting it. Yeah, again, there there are obviously far and away a whole lot more nuances to it, but I think that's a good way uh, to at least get you into the right headspace of understanding that. Um, I think you also that... just defined why the two Saw movies of Jigsaw and Spiral didn't work for people because they were used to horror and suddenly you threw them into a thriller. Yeah, well, I, I, when I thought for the longest time, like, like I, I thought there was way more crime drama going on in that franchise than I honestly expected, 
because a lot mm-hmm. of people, it's always been presented to me as uh, a horror fan. And I do agree that it's a horror franchise, but there is a lot of crime drama in there that I just was not expecting because I've never heard anybody talk about it that way. Yeah. Can't wait for Saw 11 when Judge Judy shows up and <laughs> gives Jigsaw a piece of her mind. It'd be so great. Oh, gosh. So, well, guys, uh, I guess I cannot believe it took me 30 years after hearing about this movie. Well, to be fair, it was a very hard movie to find and get a hold of for a long time, but then the internet happened. Uh, so, uh, uh, I am so glad that James gave us this request. I'm so glad that I finally got to watch this movie. Fuck, what an extremely awesome film. Uh, this was just so goddamn good. Thank you, James. I am glad that I convinced you that we should watch it, even though it wasn't so going to be horror. And then we were wrong. Oh, I had Jesus. a feeling, though, when when James said that he hadn't seen it before uh, because he knew what happened in the end. I was like, it's going to be upsetting. So at least on some level, it's going to count. And oh, man, this really freaked me out. I don't like locked in syndrome, just in case you've made it this yeah. far and you don't know what locked in syndrome is. It's this. It's it's an inability to move, though. So I guess it's also a little bit worse. You can't Morse code with your head like he does. Yeah. But you're aware of everything. It's also a thing that happens a lot to coma patients where they're half awake and half not. And I'm obsessed with stories about people who are trapped in comas oh. and what they reported afterwards. Like, oh, my God, it's so scary. This, this is like it, it's obviously something that I've thought about before, but I don't. But this like having seen the whole movie now and and the 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 full presentation of this like fucking being trapped in your own body with no way to communicate no arms and no legs is going to be a fucking obsessive anxiety thought that I have for a long fucking time now I'm just going to You didn't have nowhere, that already? No. <laughs> I mean occasionally You never just thought of that? Oh. No, I, that's occasionally. When I over. Uh, but yeah, just like, can you imagine if you had no arms and no legs and no mouth and no eyes and you couldn't hear anything and literally the only sensation you still had in life was, was the touch sensation through your skin. Uh, and okay, maybe the, t- here's, here's my one Grey's Anatomy reference for the day. I watched an episode like 10 years ago where Sandra, oh, there's a, a person who has locked in syndrome and they can only blink. And she says, uh, blink if you are or she says something like blink if this is how you want your life to be and if he didn't then they were going to unplug the life support and just let him be like and and die peacefully and it was this whole moral quandary throughout the entire episode about like uh like allowing this guy to end his life and what his life would be like and people saying well he needs to hold out hope versus not and ever since it's been a thing that I obsess about a lot, um, and I just hope that when it happens to me, Sandra O oh, will bend over <laughs> me and ask if this is how I want to live my life. And I've already given John a list of movies and TV shows that I want playing constantly, so that if that happens, even if he doesn't think I'm aware, that I am aware, and he needs to keep the movies coming because I got a list. I got a <laughs> long list to get through, and that will nice. be my opportunity to catch up. So yeah, and uh, I think you can see that in this film, uh, in in that moment. Uh, where they they finally bring the military guys in and they start recognizing that this is Morse code and telling them what they're uh, what he's trying to say and that sort of thing, like you can see in everybody's face uh, that every single one of them in that room, but the one dude uh, is like, yeah, let's put this guy out of his misery. And then of course the nurse tries to, and then once again through the arrogance of military command. 
This dude comes in and stops. And I thought for a minute what we were going to see, and this is just because I've seen too many uh, movies before that try to bring you back into a positive place. For a moment, I thought he was throwing the nurse out because he was going to do it with the thought of if anybody's going to be responsible for this, it's going to be me. But of course Mm -hmm. not. It's just the arrogance of powerful military men again. And I do like that through this whole movie, they show you absolutely nothing. He's under that curtain uh, thing, and you get the the face with the mask on it, but they never show you the damage to his face. They never show the damage to, to his body, except when you finally get to the very end, the last time we see him, that shroud is removed and his body is still completely covered by a sheet. So obviously it's, it's probably not a real person. I don't know. But they give you just enough where you can see the outline of the rest of his body clearly missing arms and legs. And I thought that was brilliant, right? They, they, they probably didn't have anywhere near the budget. And there's no way in 1971 anybody had... Uh, this this would have looked like a fucking Herschel Gordon Lewis nonsense if they had tried to actually put that on screen. Uh, and so I thought that was a very subtle but really powerful way of giving you that payoff without being able to give you that payoff. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, it also fits in with the last thing that I was about to say, which is... Uh, you had mentioned the horrific parts being where he's talking over himself and he's being monotone and screaming at the same time. Oh God, that by the end of this, so bad. Yeah. By the end of this, it's just monotone. He has given up. And even when he's just saying like, Oh, they're just going to leave me here. Like that's how it ends with him just giving up. And now he's just reduced to what we see on screen, which is the outline of what used to be a full man. And it's now only part of one. A fate so worse upsetting. than death. Ugh. Ugh. I love It's bleak, I love but it's worth movies, seeing, though. guys. God damn. I love bleak movies. Just you upset me, me at least once a day, please. <laughs> Not with animals. Anything except animals. Ugh. No bleak animal movies. Milo and Otis, never want to watch it again. I'm good. I can't watch Milo and Otis again because uh, it used to be one of my very favorite movies, and then I found out about how they made it. Yep. Same. And I can't ever watch it again. It's really too bad because the end product, I won't lie, it was fucking incredible. But, man, what a what an unfortunate process. Anyway. PSA, don't throw a cat in a river. Yeah. Quick PSA for you. Don't, don't fucking Ugh. throw a cat in a river just to make a goddamn movie. And don't assume that a guy is uh, not active in his brain and aware of everything, even though right. he's flopping around trying to tell you that he is. Right. It's another PSA from your friends here. Don't be a fucking arrogant dickhead. (laughs) Oh, well, that one I can't make any guarantees about, but I will try. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for joining us yet again for another episode of We Watch Shudder. I don't know what the heck's coming up next week. We still haven't gotten any schedule updates, so who knows? We'll all find out together. Uh, I think that's about it. Do you have anything else? Mm, Nope, just my usual. Well, then say goodnight, Michelle. Goodnight, Michelle. We 
Watch Shudder is a production of Rat Factory Media, your home for all of today's Rat Factoryist podcasts. The views and opinions of the hosts and guests of We Watch Shudder are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Rat Factory Media. But wait, aren't Rat Factory Media and We Watch Shudder the same people? Shut your cake hole, Charlie. Nobody asked you. We Watch Shudder is available free on all major podcast platforms, and the easiest way to support We Watch Shudder is also free. Just leave a rating and review on your platform of choice. Merge your consciousness with ours on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. We're at We Watch Shudder on all those social media platforms. Or find us the old-fashioned way on the web at WeWatchShudder.com or by email at mail at WeWatchShudder.com. Heck, you can even leave us a voicemail at 701-566-9510. No, seriously, 701-566-9510. Try it if you dare.